Well, hey guys, it's just good to see you this weekend, and it is really good to be back with you and uh, being able to talk with you. Uh, can I say this to you? Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, I say that to you simply because my uh, my family is uh, celebrating Christmas this weekend, this particular weekend, and the reason for that is uh, uh, I kind of had a rough month physically, uh, kind of a perfect storm hit, and so I so appreciate hearing from so many of you. Uh, I came down with a severe sinus infection. <laughs> And then about a week later, I got COVID, and uh, I did not dial up the mild symptom form of that. I got COVID pretty bad. And the day after I was diagnosed with COVID, my back went out, so I couldn't move. And then a couple days after that, I got the stomach flu. <laughs> and then a few days after that, I had a tooth fall out. But other than that, it's been a great couple weeks, right? And uh, so it's like a perfect storm. Thank you so much for your prayer and many of you that text, emailed. I so appreciate that. And we look forward to celebrating Christmas this weekend. One of the things through all that that made me think is I'm so thankful for the team we have here at Grace Church. And uh, I'm so thankful, uh, nothing missed a beat, so thankful for Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Aiden, the last couple weeks and the message they brought timely that God wanted you to hear. Uh, this week, I want to begin a conversation, actually, I've been thinking about, we were going to start it last week, and obviously God's timing was different than that, but it's a conversation that I've been wanting to have with you. And uh, wherever you're at, uh, this conversation probably is geared to people who are followers of Jesus, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think this conversation is beneficial. Because I think it's going to help you understand some things that might be confusing. And so I would encourage you to, to track with us. This conversation we have in the next six weeks. And I've been thinking a lot about this conversation because of these last two years. Can we just say this? These last two years have been anything but normal. <laughs> in fact, these last two years have a lot of people kind of wanting to get back to normal. Why? Because these last two years have been challenging. They've been really, really hard. They've been interesting right? They've been exhausting. And can we even maybe say this? They've been a bit exposing. I mean, they've revealed some things. I mean, here's what's happening. You know this already, but these last two years, we've had a, a global pandemic, right? That has impacted the entire world. And some of you, and I want to be tender about this, some of you, this has impacted you personally and deeply. Uh, we have people here in our congregation that are walking through some deep waters as a result of this pandemic. But I'm not naive. For others of you, even me mentioning that makes you uncomfortable because of what you, whatever, believe about that pandemic, which points to another interesting, challenging fact about the last two years, and that is this, is that we are walking through some very steep national polarization. The national mood uh, has become this mixture of anger and fear, uh, skepticism, cynicism. What's happened is the national dialogue has evolved from talking with each other to talking at each other. And so here we are. <laughs> like here we are two years later, in essence. My purpose in this series and Pastor Aiden's purpose in this series as we go through these six weeks together isn't necessarily to address specifically some of those issues because there's a lot of opinions, but it's simply to acknowledge that these last two years have been brutally exhausting. They have been extremely difficult. I've been a pastor for 28 years. I don't know that I've ever led through something quite like the last two years. And what I want you to know is this, that unfortunately the community of faith, namely the church of Jesus Christ, has not been immune. In many ways, these last two years has rocked the church across our country. Uh, you maybe already know this. Uh, scandals 
over the last two years, right? You kind of follow this stuff, the Catholic Church. Uh, you've probably read about churches like Hillsong and other things that have popped up on your newsfeed, right? The Southern Baptist Convention having a public discourse and disagreement, uh, pastors disagreeing with each other, the hypocrisy in the church. Pew Research says this, that over the last several years, those who say they are affiliated with no religion at all has increased. Those who pray has decreased. In fact, I just pulled this up uh, from December. Wall Street Journal did a, an article, and here's the name of the article, More Americans Left Religion During the Pandemic. Uh, no religious affiliation rose to almost 30%. Attendance across churches in the country, roughly 30 to 50% lower than before the pandemic. And here's the quote they said in there, a significant minority of population is saying that their faith, minority, I want to say that again, has said that their faith has strengthened as a result of the pandemic. Millennials shifting away from organized religion. This is all stuff that you, there's confusion in the church. There's confusion about the church. Maybe you're confused. Like what's the church? What's the role of the church? Is it primarily a, a political entity? Is it some sort of voting block, so to speak, that is kind of organized to protect our version of America, whatever that is? Does Jesus really want to be president? <laughs> you know, like, is that really something he wants to be? Uh, you begin to think to yourself, uh, what's going on? Pastors are burning out at record numbers. You need to know that, leaving their post. And some, and maybe you've even read these articles, are renouncing their faith, uh, this whole thing has been exposing and difficult, and the church is not immune. It makes me think of something Jesus said. Uh, maybe you've heard this passage. It's found in like his first recorded sermon. But in Matthew 5, here's what it says. It says, y'all, followers, y'all are the salt of the earth. But if that salt loses its saltiness, its effectiveness, its impact, its influence, how can it be made salty again? He says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. In many ways, if we're honest, the church, if we're honest, we need to look and say, has it lost its saltiness? Has it lost its impact? Has it lost its influence, its effectiveness? And if it has, how in the world can we restore that? You might be thinking, wow, we're in this new age, this new era. And I want to tell you something, there's nothing new under the sun. If you take your Bible and look at the Old Testament and read through that, you see the Old Testament prophets and preachers are constantly railing against religion that's practiced wrongly in their day. And then you get to the New Testament, Jesus is doing the very same thing. He spends a lot of time talking to religious leaders and he is correcting and instructing and rebuking because religion practiced the wrong way causes salt to lose its saltiness. It makes me think of a story of a guy that if you've never heard of him, you, you really ought to become familiar with him. I mean that. Whether you're a Christian or not, you ought to read about this guy. His name's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, during the Nazi regime, he was a German theologian and pastor. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm reading his biography right now, uh, he received his PhD by the age of 21. That's just impressive, right? <laughs> you know, it's just impressive. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer became disillusioned with the German church. At this particular time in history, he became disillusioned because the German church was seduced by the power of the Nazi government. And the German church began to support the Nazi regime. 
That's what led theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer to start this small countercultural community and seminary in a part of Germany as a part of the confessing church as a way to try to restore the saltiness of the church, the light of the church, the effectiveness of the church. As you can imagine, as he's doing this and he formed the seminary and they committed themselves to practicing the way of Jesus, his friends began to scratch their head because they began to think he was taking this thing a little too far. He was too radical. He was maybe taking this thing too serious. And so they came to visit him as a way to maybe talk some sense into him. Maybe he wasn't seeing things correctly. Maybe he was getting a little overboard. And he took him on a trip where he took him to the ridge of a hill And they looked over the ridge of the hill, and on the other side of that hill, the Nazi army was training their soldiers. They were indoctrinating them in the Nazi way of life. And he simply looked at his friends and he said this, if we're going to be a church that is salty and have light, what I'm doing isn't optional, it's necessary, because what we're doing, you ready? Listen to this. What we're doing in practicing the way of Jesus, leaning into the heart of God, learning how to be a community surrounded around the gospel, what we're doing has to be stronger than what they're doing. I want you to remember that. What we're doing has to be stronger. Here's why I want you to remember that. These next six weeks, Pastor Aiden and I wanna kind of invite you to look over our own cultural ridge as a country and make some observations of several things. Several things that must change if we're gonna recover as a church of Jesus Christ, our saltiness. Because if we're honest, these last two years have exposed that there's things that have infiltrated the ranks of even the church of Jesus Christ. And what we wanna do these next six weeks is simply look at a little part of the teaching of Jesus. If you have your Bible, go to John chapter 15, because if you took your Bible and you kind of held in your hand John 13 to John 17, which is where we'll be the next six weeks, Jesus is just instructing his disciples. John 13 to 17, John's the only one that records this conversation, and he's instructing his disciples, and in this instruction, it's right before they're going to kill Jesus. Some of it's in the upper room. Some of it's on the way to the garden. He's having this private intimate conversation with this ragtag group of men. And in this conversation, I think he alludes to, I think things are assumed and even instructed that would be so important for this ragtag group of men to embrace in order for them not to go back to normal, but to run into what was next. And what was next was to ignite a movement called the church that would change the world. He was trying to, in chapters 13 to 17, prepare them for what was next. He did not have any interest in everything going back to normal. And that bothered one of them. (laughs) That bothered one of them, maybe all of them at some point. But he said, I want to prepare you for what is next. And what we want to do next six weeks is listen as he instructs this, this team of followers, his disciples, Here's what we want to talk about today. John 13 to 17 is during a very dark time in the history. You got to think about when you have John 13 to 17, Jesus is going to be betrayed by one of his followers. Talk about a confusing time, a dark time. 
I don't know what Pew Research does with that. <laughs> All of his followers were eventually going to flee in fear. Things were so chaotic and confusing. Uh, one of his strongest followers is going to deny that he even knew him, not once, not twice, but three different times. <laughs> the church leaders of the day are actually going to use the government to squelch the voice of Jesus. This is a dark time. It's a confusing time. It's a time where people aren't sure what's next. And Jesus has this intimate conversation. And there are six things I want us for the next six weeks to pull out of this. Here's what I want us to talk about today. I want you to get your pen and paper. I want you to write this down. That if we're going to see the saltiness of the church, the impact, the effectiveness, and lean into the teaching of Jesus, producing fruit must, man must replace managing my busyness. Producing fruit must replace managing my business. One of the things that's become normal in our culture, let's just say it, is that we are a busy culture. You ever notice that? Like, if we're honest, a lot of us can boil our lives down. We simply manage our busyness. We just have to manage our busy lives. Like, some of you right now are almost too busy to sit and listen to this. Now, I'm not criticizing you for it. So what you're going to do is you're going to put it on double speed. And I'd love to know how I hear on double speed. I'd love to know how Pastor Aiden hears on double speed, right? But, but, but that, you're so busy. Like we go up and we say, how you doing? Good. I'm what? I'm doing good. I'm just what? Busy. <laughs> We're busy, 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 busy. I read an author said this, we suffer from FOMO. You ever hear that? I never heard that until I read this author. It's the fear of missing out. We have a fear of missing out. So we cram our schedule with more and more activity. We're always trying to fill our schedule with one more thing, and we do it with our kids because we don't FOMO. We don't want our kids missing out. So we want them to be in every sport, every uh, extracurricular activity, everything we can, right? Uh, Corey Ten Boom, uh, same time period as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, had an interesting thing. Here's what she said. She said, if the devil can't make us bad. Listen to this. This is worth writing down. If the devil can't make us bad, he's going to make us busy. <laughs> Why would she say that? Because both cut us off from our connection to God, other people, and even our own souls. We're busy. We're busy, busy, but we're, and because we're busy, guess what? Because we're busy, we're always in a hurry. You ever notice that? We live in this hurried up world. You're feeling it. Some of you are feeling it right now. You're like, hurry up, Dan, and get done, because I got things to do. I got it, right? And I will. But we live in a fast-paced world, fast cars, fast internet, fast food, fast, right? And if it's not fast, we're frustrated. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. In fact, psychologists, I thought it was interesting. I, a couple years ago, I mentioned this here at our campus, uh, came up with this. There's actually a, a diagnosable disease or sickness called hurry sickness. Uh, the way, see if, I don't know, diagnose yourself. Uh, here's the clinical diagnosis. It's a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. A malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time. Just be honest. <laughs> Do an x-ray. And so they tend to perform every task faster. They get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. <laughs> like in the car line, at school, driving down the road. Whatever. I don't know. A continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. We live this hurry-up culture. Hurry, 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 right? Got to get one more thing. Busy, manage business. Uh, it's not only leads to a hurried-up culture, we're a distracted culture. 
We always got something in our hands, something in our ears, right? Something that we're doing, right? Some of you right now, I already know, I can see you, all right? You're on your phone. Like you're texting, you're emailing, you're checking your newsfeed, and I think I'll listen to Pastor Dan. <laughs> and I get it, I'm not being critical. I found this, and this is actually outdated. It might be more than this. But the average smartphone user touches their phone over 2,600 times a day. Try counting today. <laughs> like, like we're just distracted. It led me to, to, to this uh, author who wrote this. And it's rather long, but just let me read it to you. It's interesting. His name is A.J. Saboda. He wrote a book called Subversive Sabbath. And he says this, Our time-saving devices, technological conveniences, and cheap mobility have seemingly made life much easier and interconnected. As a result, we have more information. Sure we do, at our fingertips than anyone in history. Yet with all this progress, we are ominously dissatisfied. In bowing at the sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress, technical compulsivity, our souls increasingly pant for meaning and value and truth as they wither away, exhausted, frazzled, displeased, ever on edge. The result is a hollow culture that Paul talked about, ever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. That's interesting. Our bodies wear ragged, our spirits thirst, we have an inability to simply sit and be still. As we drown ourselves in a 24-7 living, we seem to be able to do anything but quench one true thirst for the life of God. As a result, we've become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. I don't think he's far off there. We're a culture that's addicted to busyness. We manage our busyness, but busy does not mean blessed. Busy isn't always better. And a full life doesn't mean a fulfilled life. Sometimes the chase for more in our life is what leaves us empty. Can I just say this? That those who are followers of Christ are not exempt. There is a Christian busyness that has become addictive. It's a real deal. It's a real deal. It's a real addiction. It causes Christians to be exhausted and grumpy and critical and complacent. The fact of the matter is we all fall into this trap of managing our busyness. And if getting back to normal is managing our bus busyness, then I suggest to you we should never get back to normal. But we need to run into what's next as followers of Jesus as the church. And we need to lean in to the teaching of Jesus with this ragtag group of guys as they got ready to go into what's next. Because our busyness, listen close, our busyness, our busyness can be the very thing that keeps us from what Jesus talked to his disciples about and what he desires for your life, what he desires for my life, and that's to produce fruit. And I can't produce fruit simply by managing my busyness. You see, here's the deal. John 15 is where you have your Bibles open to. Can I read this? And I'm just going to make some short observations. Then we're going to ask some questions, and then we're going to end by doing something that I've never done with you that's going to be unique today. John 15. Do you have your Bibles open? Get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, email me. I'll send you one. Bible. John 15. I am the true vine. Jesus talking. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that, that, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, 
so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you, you see, bearing fruit's the big deal. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Those things are connected. <laughs> I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain, abide, some of your versions say, in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, disconnected from me, not staying close with me, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me, abide in me, and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it'll be done. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Don't miss that. Like bearing fruit is what not only pleases God, it's what brings glory to God. It's actually what we were made for. But this brings glory to the Father. And then he says this, bearing fruit is how you show yourselves to be my disciples. Let me just say this, that word disciples is interesting. Circle that in your Bibles, underline it, whatever. Because as I already stated, these last two years, the amount of people who would claim to be Christians has decreased. About 60 some percent now. And a lot of people get like, oh, like that's negative. But I don't see that as negative because the word Christian is used three times in your New Testament, three times. And it's basically used by a secular world to describe people who are followers of Christ. And it was used disparagingly. But the word that Jesus and other writers of the New Testament used more than any was this word disciple over 260 times. And an independent survey, independent survey says that whereas 63% of Americans would call themselves Christians, there are about 10% who are truly disciples. You see, those who are cultural Christians will want to get back to normal, but disciples will want to follow Jesus into what's next. Those who are cultural Christians will want to go back to normal. Those who are disciples of Jesus will want to follow him into what's next. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. Well, well what, how do I produce that fruit? Here's, here's how you produce it. He says in here, fruit in my life is only produced in my life by connecting to and staying close to Jesus. That's the only way. I, I don't produce fruit to connect to and stay close to Jesus. The fruit is produced because I'm connected to and staying close to Jesus. It's very important. Uh, let, let me go back to that passage and show you something. Eight times you'll see this wording. And the wording is this, remain in me. Or your version may say, abide in me. Remain, you see it eight times. In the chapter, it's used 11 times. Like that's the point he's trying to make. That you cannot produce fruit. You can manage busyness apart from Jesus. In fact, your managing busyness might be the very thing that drives you away from Jesus. But what he's saying is you cannot produce fruit without connecting to and staying close to Jesus, remaining or abiding in Jesus. And the problem is for many of us, and these last two years maybe has shown us that, I don't know, that our busyness is the very thing that keeps us from abiding with Jesus, staying close to Jesus, connecting to Jesus. That word remain in me, just for those of you who are interested, abide in me that he uses here, uh, it, it has this idea of this very personal, intimate communion. It's a very personal word. Fruit is the result of being connected to Jesus. The fruit that God wants to produce in your life can't happen if you're not connected to Jesus. 
And that fruit is the result or product of staying close to Jesus. It is the product. It's the end. It's not the means to connecting to Jesus. There are a lot of stressed out Christians trying to do what the, the things in the Bible, the fruit of the Bible. And so they stress, they're exhausted because they think that's the way I'm going to connect to Jesus. If I'm more loving, if I'm more kind, then I'll connect to Jesus. What Jesus is saying is, it's the reverse. That connecting to Jesus produces that fruit. That abiding with Jesus, that staying close to Jesus, having an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus produces that fruit. You've heard this. I'm sure you've heard this. You ever, I mean, he's saying it's like a tree that produces apples. How many times do you see a stressed out apple tree? <laughs> right? It's not stressed. i got to produce apples. Like, that's not what it's doing. But this apple tree, because it's connected to the root, eventually the life source produces what we enjoy. That is the apples. That's what he's saying. He's saying your filled up life is going to compete for the only thing that will allow you to have a fruit filled life. Uh oh. Listen, let me say it again. He says, Dan, be careful because your filled up life, busy, 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 can be the very thing that competes for what will allow you to have a fruit filled life. Now, now what does it mean? To abide. I think Jesus fills this out. Can I show you this really quickly? And then maybe kind of try to illustrate it for you. Uh, he goes on in verse 9. He says, As the Father loved me, I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. He said, that's how it shows up. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's interesting. Come back to that. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. That's how it kind of flushes out. Greater love has no one than this. How's it show up? That he lays one's life down for his friends. You're my friends. If you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I made known to you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you so that you may go, and here's why I appointed you and chose you. Here's why you're a disciple, to bear fruit. Not fruit that will wither, but fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. The idea of being connected and staying close to Jesus, do you see what he's doing here? It's pictured when Jesus says, that's what it means to be my friend. I love that. This helps me a lot. Here's what he's saying, guys. You and I will not produce fruit without cultivating a deep friendship with Jesus. That's the, like, if you could wrap your arms around that, like, how do I understand that? Let me just say it this way. The best, uh, best human friend I have on the earth today is my wife. Like, she's my best friend, you know? And, 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 but it wasn't always that way. <laughs> like, I met Jennifer, my wife, in 1984, and when we met, we were friendly. I had no idea that she wanted to be my best friend, if you know what I mean. You know, like, I was clueless. Like, I was that guy. I'm in the gym, right? I'm, do, that's, I'm busy. I'm managing busyness, right? I had things to do. I had, you know, exercises and play ball, and, that, you know, I'm busy. She wanted to be my get it, best friend. 
we were friendly. It, one day, it kind of awakened to me, like, wow, man, I, you know, I, I, I began to awaken to this gal who wanted to be my best friend, and I'm like, man, I can't think of her. And I said yes <laughs> to that invitation that I hadn't known was there for a couple years. And my wife and I, what, what happened is we married our lives together. Like I married my best friend. And, and when you marry your, here's what happens. Our friendship over the years has grown. We, we've done life together. We dream dreams together. We've walked through deep valleys together. We have struggled together. We have done ministry together. We have raised kids together. When it comes to my wife, guess what? I talk with her every day. Every week we have an intentional time where we go on this date. We have this intentional moment. We have this intentional conversation. But every moment of my day, I have her in my mind. I, I, I don't make big decisions without consulting her, recognizing that she is my friend. You see, I think that's what Jesus is saying. Some of you are oblivious to the fact that Jesus wants to be your friend. And can I say it like this? In fact, he's dying to be your friend. In fact, he died to be your friend. That when he died on the cross, he made it possible for you not only to be part of the family of God, forgiven of your sins, but be a friend of Jesus. And when it comes to cultivating this friendship with Jesus, it begins by saying yes to his invitation of love. Have you? He loves you. No, no. He loves you. He died for you in your place. He died so that you could be forgiven, part of the family of God, and he is dying to have a friendship with you, to share life with you, to dream dreams with you, to, to have you partner with him in what he's doing in the world, to walk through struggles with you. And that friendship is cultivated in this communication that is a back and forth where I listen to him and I talk to him and I walk with him and I, that's, that's how it happens. You see, this friendship with Jesus is what produces fruit. <laughs> There's something else interesting. We've got to look at it because when we read it, you probably got stuck on it. <laughs> you probably got stuck on it. Verse 2, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. <laughs> What's the point? When it comes to producing fruit, I want you to write this down. Pruning in my life produces more fruit if I'm connected to Jesus. That's key, if I'm connected to Jesus. You ever see a, a vineyard that was being pruned? I don't know much about gardening and pruning and all that, right? Like if you've ever come upon, whether it be a vineyard or whatever, where somebody's pruning, you, right, if you don't have an expert eye, you're thinking that the, the guy doing is killing the plants. I mean, it looks awful. Stuff's laying all over the place. I think we have a picture like, it's like stuff is everywhere. And, and it's like, I think you're killing the trees. But the gardener, the one who's doing the pruning, knows that what he's doing is not hurting the trees, but it's essential for them to grow more fruit. You see, that's what Jesus is teaching here. All of us, and I know I'm talking to some of you in the middle of this right now, all of us go through painful, can I say it this way, cutting times in our life. 
And those pruning times have a way, listen close, of exposing what the source of our life is, where our joy is. Because when those cutting times happen, if our life source is Jesus, when those cutting times happen, it draws the branch. That's what happens when pruning happens. The part that's cut away lands and dies. But the part that's attached to the vine, it draws deeper into the vine during the time of cutting. See, sometimes in the pruning pot process, there's this big pile of branches, and sometimes the pruner even cuts off good fruit in order to produce better fruit. Tim Keller, in one of his books, says it this way, the pruner of the vine never cuts anything that's not a loss to keep and a gain to lose. I love that. All of us, some of you in this right now, all of us face times that are cutting. Maybe you're facing one right now, They're a pruning time. And those times either draw us deeper into Jesus, the vine, or they expose that Jesus never was the source of life and my source of joy. Guys, I, I told you this before, I've been a pastor 28 years. This is what can cause me to have the experience where I have two people come into my office and they'll come in desperate and they'll come in walking through a cutting time. And, and, and I've seen people come in and those desperate cutting times cause them to run from God, cause them to give up on God, throw up their hands in disgust and anger to God. While I've seen others walking through the same thing, not somehow sugarcoat their hurt, not somehow sugarcoat their feeling, but those cutting times, those painful times can draw them deeper into God. I just saw this. I just saw this a couple of weeks ago. As I had the opportunity to meet with a family who lost their husband and daddy to, to the coronavirus. It's a wonderful man here in our church. And I, and I talked with his family and, and this man did a good job of pointing his family to Jesus. And his wife's heart was hurting, but her faith was strong. The day of his funeral, I watched as she sat in the front row and we ended with a song called The Goodness of God. And we were having a service in honor of her late husband. And she was gonna figure out how to do life now in a different way. And we sang about the goodness of God and his love and his faithfulness to us, running after us. And I watched this brand new widow with her hands raised. In the middle of her hurt, in the middle of her grief, what was she doing? She, it was driving her deeper into the vine. It didn't mean she didn't hurt. It wasn't a plastic Christian, like sanitized smile. It's not what it was. But she knew in this time that is cutting, it drove her deeper into Jesus. You see, one is cut away and the other is cut off. You know the story of Jesus' disciples? Peter and Judas both went through times of cutting. One was cut away and he drove him into Jesus. Do you love me, Peter? Three times, do you love me? Judas, it, he was cut off. You see, I think this time that we have gone through has been a cutting time. And I think it can be a revealing time and an exposing time. Sometimes pruning happens just because we live in this world. He tells his disciples that. In fact, can you just see it there? John 15, verse 18. 
if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. Like, I don't want you to be surprised. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. So there's going to be even cutting times just because you're a follower of mine. Like, cutting times happen. Pruning happens. Billy Graham said this. Uh, this is worth a quote worth writing down somewhere. Mountaintops are for views and inspiration. We all love the mountaintop times, but fruit is grown in the valleys. I believe that. God will use the times of cutting in my life to mature and allow me to experience. You see, here's what happens. And I've seen this these last two years. I just want to be honest with you. It's been a cutting time for many people. And what happens is when anger and frustration and fear and all that begin, it's because what's being cut away is where my source of joy was. And I just want to tell you something. Some of us are mad and frustrated because of what was lost. And some of us are afraid because we don't know what's ahead. But what Jesus is saying is this, we know who is. And he says, when that's my source of joy, no matter what was lost or what is, I can draw deeply from the only one who's going to fulfill and complete a joy that satisfies. That's what he's saying. That's all he's saying. I want you to hear that. Because it leads to this question, and here's how I want to end. It leads to the question, is my life producing fruit? Or am I just managing busyness? I want you to ask yourself this question. Is your life producing fruit? Like, just be honest. Like, this is not some preacher trying to make you feel guilt. That's not what's going on. I'm inviting you to look over the cultural ridge, and maybe you've bought into the busy addiction. And maybe you're exhausted. Maybe even you're a Christ follower doing really, really good things, but Jesus says you can't produce fruit if you're not staying close to me. You're just busy, even maybe Christian busy. <laughs> How do I know that my life is producing fruit? Four questions I want you to write down. Maybe the first one is this. Is my life making much of God? Because if my life is producing fruit, God gets the glory. Much of my busyness is so that I get the glory much of my busyness is so whatever agenda that I want to push gets the glory. And what I think Jesus is saying is this, is that when I'm producing fruit, God gets the glory. He's the one that gets made much of. Ask yourself this, is my life making much of God? Maybe here's a second question. I need to ask myself, does my life resemble the character and the conduct of Jesus? When people see me, do they see the fruit of the character of Jesus? You know, you say, what's that? Well, Galatians 5, write that down and read it. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, which Pastor Aiden's going to talk to us about next week, the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience. Like, I'm curious. He's not saying go try to do those things better. He's saying that's the fruit of abiding with Jesus, walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, patience. Like, does, does the character and attitude and even the reactions of my life look like Jesus? Does my conduct look like Jesus? Am I doing what Jesus was doing? Am I a part of what he was a part of? Am I passionate about what he was passionate about? First John, I think it's chapter 2, says this, those who claim to be in Jesus must walk as Jesus did. It's like that's, that's the fruit of abiding with him. I'm going to share his passion, share his heart, share his priority. That's going to be mine in my life. This is not guilt. This is like, I just want to look over the cultural ridge 
And then I want to look in my own heart. Maybe the third question is this, is, is my joy found in Jesus? <laughs> or or, or is, was my joy found in whatever I lost? Or is my joy somehow in being able to control and predict what I think should be and will be? Or is my joy in attaching to the one who no matter what is and what's been lost, he is? He wants to be my friend. He wants to be your friend. Let's be your friend. Where's your joy? Where's your joy? Whatever you're getting passionate, angry, frustrated, that's probably where your joy, the source of your joy. And maybe these last two years have cut that away. I don't know. But, but, but what happens when even I go through hard times, if my joy is in Jesus, it drives me deeper into him. Which leads me to this last thing. The last thing I would ask is this, do others benefit from my life? Do, do others somehow benefit? That's what fruit does, right? Fruit is for the benefit of not the tree. It's like I go pick the fruit, right? I said this at the man's funeral that I mentioned earlier. There's three things you can do with your life. You can waste it. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's just live up. You can spend your life, and that's what a lot of people are doing today, managing busyness, making a name for myself, making money, getting ahead, whatever it might be, or you can invest your life in what will last it. That's what Jesus was talking about. I want you to pr produce fruit that lasts. As I saw, sat with that man's family and listened to his children from age, I think, 10 to 19, he lived his life in a way that produced fruit. And I listened to five kids who benefited from that fruit and will, for the rest of their life, continue to benefit from the fruit of the life of a man who decided to connect his life to Jesus and stay close to Jesus. we got to produce fruit instead of just managing our busyness. And the invitation is to look over the cultural ridge. Are you managing busyness? you got hurry sickness? you got distraction disease? These last two years, have they driven you into a deeper friendship with Jesus? Just be honest. I don't want to go back to normal. I want to run into what's next. I wonder if we could end this way, and I wonder if we could pray together, but I wonder if we could pray different together. I wonder if I could lead you through a response of prayer where I pray a sentence, and then I'm asking you wherever you're at to pray out loud, collectively together. And you're going to be doing this with others. We're going to do this Sunday morning and Sunday evening here at the campus. But I wonder if we could just as a group, a community, Make a collective resolve to produce fruit. Will you pray with me? And you can look at the screen as you do, and it's going to help you kind of pray with me. But Jesus, we don't simply want our lives to be about managing our busyness. Will you guys all join me in this? Forgive us for our fruitless busyness, our hurried pace, and our distracted attention. Jesus, we want our lives to produce fruit. We want to be connected to you, and we want to remain close to you. Will you guys join me? Help us to accept your invitation of love, to live in constant awareness of your presence, and to cultivate a deep friendship with you. Sometimes life is difficult. We accept that these times may be pruning us to produce more fruit. We want to lean into you and not run away from you in these times together. 
Help us to trust you when life is hard and to listen for you when life is confusing. Jesus, you are the vine. We are the branches. We acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing together. Help us abide in you so our lives produce much fruit, showing ourselves to be your disciples. Amen. I love you guys. I can't wait to see you next week as we continue this conversation.